Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, April 7th, and we're going to hear from an innovator in the IPO space. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and today we're going to be airing an interview I did on March 29th with Scott Coyle, CEO of Click IPO. It's a platform that's aimed at allowing the average investor to participate in IPOs and secondary offerings. Like the conversation on equity crowdfunding from my time at South by Southwest, this chat is another look at investment opportunities that are starting to become available to the average investor. Hope you enjoy it. So, Scott, how's it going? Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. I know you're a busy man over at Stocktoberfest East this week. Uh, it's going great. Yeah, we're, uh, uh, we got in town yesterday, and uh, we're really looking forward to the conference. So, before we get into the IPO landscape and your platform, Click IPO, I want to talk a little bit about how you got into the space. Okay, the way I, the way I got into the space, I, I've been in the uh, securities business uh, since the late '80s, and uh, through the '90s and 2000s, uh, was involved with uh, lots of different capital raises, uh, plenty of IPOs and secondary offerings. And then uh, after that, the market sort of changed, and uh, the the market got a lot a lot tougher f- for IPOs for a number of years. Uh, and there just there there wasn't a way to uh, there isn't a way like there used to be for retail investors to participate in initial public offerings or secondary offerings. So we decided to develop a platform uh, through the use of technology that would that would make that easier and make it uh, beneficial for everybody in the process. And to kind of highlight that that challenge and how the average investor is being excluded right now, I'm going to throw out a couple stats that I've seen in some of the press that Click IPO has gotten. So I've seen that there are over 400 deals in the U.S. every year. Non-institutional IPO allocations represent approximately 20% of most offerings, and yet less than 0.1% of investors have been able to access IPOs. Uh, that to me sounds like the average investor doesn't have much of a shot of getting shares at issuance price. Well, they really don't, and that over 400 offerings that includes IPO and secondary offerings. So that's not just IPOs; that includes secondary offerings, and what. What kind of happened is back in the 90s when the regulations were different, and there are there are many small firms taking companies public. Uh, and then what happened when the Nasdaq crashed? Um, after that, the rules kind of changed. I mean, the exchanges uh, made the uh, requirements to list on Nasdaq or New York. They made them they made them higher. Um, and regulatory requirements came in when you're dealing with smaller investors. So the what happened is the the, I, the companies that started going public started to be larger and larger companies. So it was mostly the, the larger investment banks that were taking companies public, and the smaller ones were kind of left out. And so the, the larger investment banks at the same time, their account minimums for small investors kept going up higher and higher. So they don't, you know, the major banks don't have customers with, you know, ten or $20,000 in their account. So because of that, a lot of the smaller investors now are at, you know they're at online brokerage firms, and there just there hasn't been a way developed yet to, for uh, smaller investors to have access to IPOs. The large investment banks don't have small customers, so you know for that reason, the small investors kind of they've kind of been left out, um, and there hasn't been a there hasn't been an effective way uh, there hasn't been a t- technology created to allow small investors to you know to have access to IPOs and secondary offerings. And how exactly? How exactly are you guys at Click IPO looking to change that? Well, we've developed a technology platform, and the way it works, it starts it starts in the form of an app, and so a small investor can download our app, uh, and they can connect it with their broker with their broker dealer. Now, initially, when we roll this out in the second quarter, 
of this year, um, we're going to be supported by a few brokerage firms, but we're talking to many others. So the idea is an investor can download our app, connect it with their brokerage firm or one that supports us initially, and then they the app is essentially it's an order entry system. It, it will list all the IPO and secondary offerings, and then the underwriters that we have developed a relationship with, they'll be able to place an order for those offerings. And that, that order actually runs through their existing online broker-dealer, uh, and then that order goes to Click IPO, and then we aggregate all those orders and show the underwriter the number of shares that we have to purchase. The underwriter allocates shares to us, and then we reallocate those shares to, uh, to the broker-dealer and to their customers. That's kind of the way it's going to work. So eventually, eventually what we're going to do is um, you know we're going to create a a giant liquidity pipe to uh, smaller retail investors uh, to give them access um, uh, to offerings to both IPO and secondary offerings. Well, and and it seems like in addition to kind of some of the regulatory things that you mentioned earlier, one of the barriers to getting the average investor access to these deals is that as a point of kind of practicality, it's a lot easier for underwriters to work with high net worth individuals and institutional accounts because they can they can just take a much larger slice with with the you know assets under management that they're working with and and it seems like what you guys are looking to do is kind of collectively pool and and kind of wield that same power but then democratize it down through your platform is that right That's correct so so we're we're you know so hopefully eventually as our app rolls out and our platforms rolls out we'll have hundreds of thousands of people but for the underwriter they would be dealing with you know it's going to be one order from us so let's say we have a million shares of an offering to buy they're going to do one allocation to us for a million shares and then we we redistribute those shares to different broker dealers and then we actually we actually allocate we assist them with allocation into their customer accounts uh, and the other the other thing that we've done as part of the platform is we've created a scoring system and so the scoring system actually rates investors. So really what, what this platform is for is investors, if, if they see something like Snap just came public, everybody knows about that. Um, but if they, see, if they see a company they like, an IPO or a secondary, and they, they like the business, they like it longer term, um, then you know, this, this might be a good platform for them to make an investment uh, in that company. And then when they buy the shares, we, we have a rating system that rates them on how long they actually hold those shares. So it kind of, it kind of works like a FICO score. So the, the, the biggest component of that system is, you know, how long you buy and hold a security. So if you buy it and hold it for 30 days or more, um, that increases your investor score and that, that increase in your investor score when the next offering comes along or when some of the offerings come along that are oversubscribed, it's going to give you a better opportunity uh, to actually participate in those versus somebody who, uh, you know, who who buys IPOs and just sells them the first day. That's that's not the that's not the type of customer we're looking for. And actually, that's the type of customer we're trying to eliminate. That is that is kind of rampant in the IPO system. Uh, there, there are a lot of um, investors that seem to to receive allocations currently, and you know, some of those allocations get get uh, flipped. They're called IPO flippers, and they just sell them. And they don't they don't really create a lot of benefit in the system. So we're trying to bring, you know, we believe, or at least my experience is, you know, there are plenty of retail investors out there that will look at a company and like it, and they're willing to hold it, you know, for a period of time, more than a day or a week. Yeah, and we are certainly buy, it, buy and hold here at The Motley Fool, so uh, I, can, I can understand that ideology well. Um, and, and you mentioned Snapchat, and 
kind of incorporating that mindset into your platform seems like the kind of thing that would really help sell you guys with underwriters and with the companies that are going public as well. I mean, Snapchat, I know when they were in the process of going public, they'd floated this idea, I think, of having roughly a quarter of the shares in long-term lockup commitments uh, you know, that were being allotted. It's, it's unclear whether that happened, but it's clear that it is something that was on their mind. And if they could get people to commit to holding the shares and not immediately flipping them, that was something that they were definitely interested in. Well, if you if you think about it, if you really if you just look at this at thirty thousand feet, what what we're saying is we can we can bring a liquidity pipe uh, to underwriters to retail investors that are more buy and hold investors, and really from an issuer's perspective, if you're going public, the issuer or even the underwriter, I mean, essentially, if 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 you have uh, investors that like your stock, they tend to buy it and hold it, hold on to it, and if and if that happens, the price of the stock tends to go up and trade better. You know that that's primarily what we're trying to bring to the table for the. You know we're trying to we're trying to become an industry. You know an industry utility that optimizes retail distribution for IPO and secondary offerings. I mean that's that's our mission as a company. When I when I first heard about you guys, the one of the first things I thought of was it seems to me like this is another example of technology really being on the side of the individual investor. You know you look at. Online low cost brokerages, you look at widespread information, financial statements, Edgar, stuff like that. You look like equity crowdfunding now kind of coming into the fold. It seems like this is kind of the next phase in that, where um, the barriers that existed in the investment industry are coming down. And a large part of that is because of what we're able to do on the tech side. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, years ago, you, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to do, uh, you know, something like we're doing. Uh, and we're, the other thing we're trying to do too is, if you think about it, we're trying to sort of roll up the online industry in a way. So we're trying to create one liquidity pipe. So the way the way it'll work is, if you're an investor and it doesn't matter where your account is, but if you if you buy and hold IPOs, um, then your your score will rank better, and that will give you better access to future IPO or secondary offerings. Um, you know, relative to other people. And again, this 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 depends on our allocation. I mean. You know, on on offerings that are oversubscribed, you know, we won't we won't get a huge allocation. Nobody, I mean, you know, things like Snap, nobody gets as many shares as they want. Um, you know, so we're going to have to work through those issues. But you know, basically, it's through the use of technology. You know, trying to make it easier and beneficial to everybody in the system. You know, this should benefit underwriters. It should benefit issuers. Uh, it should benefit the retail investor too. Yeah, to that that sounds great to temper expectations a little bit. You know, you talked about it being oversubscribed. I remember seeing, I think Snap was something like twelve times oversubscribed. So you might ultimately wind up getting some allotment, but probably not what you ultimately requested. At least for some of these very hot IPOs. Um, looking over to just kind of the IPO landscape in general, um, what kind of trends are you seeing there? I mean, I'm sure that this is something. That in addition to kind of enabling this platform, it's uh, it's a space that you're you know pretty in touch with and kind of have your finger on the pulse of. Well, the IPO market was really good in 2014, and then it 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 started to taper toward the end of 2015. And 2016 was a pretty sl- slow year for just for IPOs. There were maybe 100 IPOs in 2016. But to give you an example, uh, in 2017, I think there have been 24, 25 deals that have priced so far this year. And at this time last year, there were six offerings that had been priced. 
So the calendar is really picked up, and, and this is, the, you know, the IPO market, what happens is, is when, when the stock market acts better, there, tends, there tend to be more IPOs, and, and back in 2014, when the IPO market was much better, when that happens, uh, uh, there, there's a lot more money in private equity and in venture capital that goes into private companies. The valuations get higher, uh, and there's just, there's just more money in the private sector because everybody's looking at it thinking, okay, look at all these deals going public. You know, it just it, it increases the liquidity pipe in the private sector. And then what happens is the IPO market slows down because of, you know, uncertainty with the presidential election or the markets, you know, not acting as well. And then that, that creates a, a pent up, uh, you know, a pent up list of private companies that are, that are going to look for a liquidity path. Now, some of those could go down an M&A path. Uh, but many of those companies eventually are going to go public. So it kind of it kind of expands and contracts over time. We just went through a contraction, uh, and there, are, you know, I'm I can't really predict what the IPO market's going to do. But so far this year, it's better. I think there are another seven offerings uh, coming in the next couple of weeks uh, that are in, uh, you know, that are close. They're they're uh, you know they've announced their the dates they expect them to trade. There's another I think there are seven deals right now on the calendar. Uh, so it looks like it appears looking at it at 30,000 feet that the market is going to is going to pick up. Um, you mentioned VC money money and I think one thing that a lot of people see when they look out at the the unicorn and startup space is these huge VC backed companies kind of seemingly seemingly to stay private longer than maybe companies would have in the past. Um, and and you know you, there are so many names out there. You know you have your Ubers of the world, your Airbnbs of the world, you know Palantirs, companies like that. Um, do you think that that's something that also might contribute to deal flow and and something that might change or might kind of continue to be the status quo for the foreseeable future? Well, some the names you just mentioned, the three big ones: Uber, Uber, Airbnb, and Planetaire. Those type of names, in my opinion, they they are more likely to continue to get private funding and can stay private um, as long as they want to, um, because if they need private capital, they can go get it. They can get it at a good valuation. You know, if they have insiders or employees that want, that want to sell, you know, that's something that's gone on more lately where you can, you can, you know, in the old days, a CEO wanted to go public or, you know, the, the company insiders, because they wanted to be able to sell their stock, right? When they went public six months later, they could take some liquidity, take some chips off the table. Nowadays, the private, private equity or VC guys, they'll, they'll take you out privately. Like if you're one of those three companies you just named, so they're going to have a choice. And again, it depends on the valuations. Um, you know, it's a question of, okay, in the private sector, I can get, you know, I can get a billion dollar valuation, you know, in the public sector, I can get a one point Two billion or 1.5 billion. So somewhere along the line, it'll become a valuation question, and the, and the public sector still does represent a better liquidity path. So I don't know necessarily the big names you just mentioned. I mean, I think eventually those companies, you know, are likely to go public. But there are many other names under those three um, that are more likely to to go public in the near future. So Scott, this is an investing show, and you're in the IPO space. I'm going to throw a long debated kind of philosophical question your way. Um, if you are leading a company public, you're the CEO. Would you rather see the IPO price and then drop 15 to 20 percent on the first day, or have the IPO price and pop 15 to 20 percent on the first day? Well, you'd you'd always much rather you'd much rather have it 
have it go up. And again, you know, the, the long-term value of these companies, it, it's going to be based on execution and, you know, numbers and, you know, what the market will pay. But you'd, you'd much rather, you know, have the price go up if you're the CEO of a company. It just, it, it, it's goodwill for the company. It's, it's positive. All the employees see the stock go up. Shareholders see the stock go up. Of course, you would like your, you know, you would like your stock to go up. But it's, it's a balancing act. I mean, if you're a CEO, you're trying to, you know, you, you want to sell your shares at the highest price because that's how you get the least amount of dilution. But, but you still want it to work. You, you don't want your stock to drop right after it goes public. Yeah, so, so some optimism is good, even at the cost of a little bit of capital, perhaps. Well, yeah, it's a decision that, you know, I mean, you're asking my opinion. That that's what I would think. But you know, it's it depends on the it depends on the CEO and the company, um, and it depends on the investment banks too. I mean, when these investment banks price these things, you know, when they when they have a price range, an investment bank has a price range like on Snap, when they say, hey, it's going to get priced at fourteen to sixteen, and that's what the range is. I mean, they they go to the you know when they go to the institutions that they sell eighty percent of this. Of these offerings to, and more than that, in the case of Snap, the the institutions, you know, they vet the deal and they look at it and they determine a value for it too. So they, you know, there's there's a vetting process there. There's a pricing mechanism. It has to make sense to the institutional investors uh, when they when they price these offerings. So, um, you know, it's it's a balancing act. Um, before I let you go, Scott. You want to talk a little bit about when people can expect to see um, and, and participate in your platform and, and kind of what the timeline looks like for that? Okay, our platform is an internal testing right now, so we're testing the app, uh, and we we expect to have the app in the, in the uh, app store. Uh, could be by the end of April, if not sometime in May. And then in the, in the April, May, June timeframe, uh, we're running some beta tests. Uh, with some broker dealers that are supporting our app, and so th- those will be small tests uh, on some IPO and secondary offerings, and then I would say sometime by the end of Q2, uh, you know, we'll we'll start to roll this out and let some people. We have a wait list at ClickIPO.com, and as soon as the app is available, we'll let people know. And then the first thing they would do is download the, you know, they'd go on the wait list and they would download the app. And then as soon as we allow other people in to start using the app, then they'll be able to connect it with with a broker-dealer that supports the platform. It might even be a broker-dealer they're using already. So that's sort of the time frame. We expect, you know, and so we expect to really, really start rolling with this probably by, you know, maybe the June-July time frame uh, and on through the rest of the year. That's great. So, Fools, something to keep your eyes out for. Certainly, something that's interesting if you follow the IPO market and want to start participating in these rounds that you're seeing. Um, Scott, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you, Dylan. It was great to chat with you. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocusfool.com. You can always tweet us at MF Industry Focus, too. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Scott Coyle, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on.